let me pray, and let's jump in. Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for loving us. I, too, pray for our country, um, both sides of the aisle and all over party lines. I do pray for uh, wisdom and guidance, and as Christians, those of us who call ourselves people of faith, uh, give us the ability to learn from James, learn from your word, and uh, be salt and light, and uh, uh, be hope in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll continue in James chapter 1. I'll do a brief recap. The first recap is this one. Um, Go ahead to verse 2, guys, if you have it. James 1, 2, we started a month ago, and this is kind of an oxymoron. Be happy when difficulties come. In this election season, you probably could have ran on that and beat either one of them. But the point is, that's weird. And quickly, over the last couple weeks, we started to dig in and we found out that when hard times come, our heart and minds will go into a battle. And when James says various trials, it can be anything from a loved one passing on, marital strife, sickness, or I believe stubbing your thumb or toe and it bleeding all over the place. James says various. And I gave you that cute example last week of when I used to work as a paramedic. I got called from everything to the serious stuff to a tabby cat scratch bite. I mean, that's what you get called for. And James says, it's not necessarily the trial, but since it's a trial to you, it's a various trial Learn, And the goal in this is that we might be complete. God will do something to use this trial to mature us and complete us as people of faith. That's the point. And James talks about two battles. The first one, you will be in a battle to doubt God when you go through it. Anybody been there? God, where are you? Are you real? God, I promise if you get me out of this one, I'll be at church every Sunday. Don't pray that. I've been there, done that, right? But you've been there. The second battle that comes when we're going through it is the battle to compare. Well, They're rotten, and you love them. That's what we do. I do, at least. I won't speak for you. Wrong. James says, don't do that. James says, stop. See what God's doing. And one of the things that we learn in those couple weeks is one of the things God does when we go through trials, in grace, he shows you and I what really matters in life. When you go through it, you're not worried about, are the reservations at Disneyland secure? unless that's what your trial is. But the point is, you're not worried about those things. When we're really going through it, when we're battling through difficult times, our faith is at the forefront. What we believe about God and who he is and the people in our lives who we love is important. And that's one of the things God does through trials in grace to say, important, important. And the goal is, as we go through trials as young people, we will remember those things and be matured in Christ so when we get a little bit of life on us, we can live in that reality, and then what? Pass it on. Oh, dear child, I know it seems like the sun won't come up, but you're gonna get over this problem in junior high, and you're gonna learn from it, and God's good in it, and then you can, in one day, pass it on to your friends, and then maybe your family and kids and whatnot. That's God's kingdom being built. That's actually called discipleship. If you wanna mature in life, in a Christian context, find someone of the faith, the same sex as you, that's what I would recommend, 
who is where you want to be someday and go spend time with him and listen and learn. Then James taught us, James 1 verse 13, in the midst of trials we can blame God a lot, maybe blame the devil, but the point is we need to look at ourselves. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That probably cuts in half most of my thoughts when I'm going through it, because I have the poor me complex. And I blame God often, but James says, don't do that. And then in verse 14, James says, look at yourself, Dave. When you are tempted, when you are going through it and you're tempted and you might struggle, the onus is on me. And then last week we looked at verse 16, James 1:16. a little bit of a recap before we dive in. And James continues to teach us, do not be deceived, my brothers. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So James tells us God doesn't tempt, rather he gives. And sometimes in the midst of trials, we receive our greatest gifts, if we see it, if we see it. So we're going to jump in. James 1, 19, we're going to try and get through a few verses. I know the clock is there. I get it, but we're going to do some work. So everybody, maybe metaphorically or for real, put your caps on, because there's two more battles. We are in a battle. You know that. We are in a battle in Silicon Valley, on the peninsula, in America, politically. There's some few battles that our nation's involved globally. James doesn't want us to see those types of battles. James wants us to remember the battle for us in faith is the battle right here. What is it? 14 inches? Head and heart. That's where the struggle comes for all of us personally. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Next verse. Verse 20. There's the reason. So James is making the correlation. He is coming out of his sequence on trials, though it's still the backdrop, still talking about trials. He says, your anger and my anger, even if I talk loud, does not produce the righteousness of God. Let's go to D.C. or San Francisco or L.A. and tell both sides, regardless of what you believe, your anger, if you're angry doing some of these things, which protest is good, does not bring about the righteousness of God as many times I think it will, right? No matter what side of the issue or what side of the aisle, if I get angry and if I get fired up and if I say yes, James says, if that anger is outside anything but righteous indignation described by Jesus in other parts of the Bible, we're off. And go back one verse. Nancy, she's there. Verse. And how we get angry usually, James says right here. Can anybody testify to that? <laughs> and then as we get angry, are we, what? Are we quicker to hear when we're angry? Actually, no. No. <laughs> Are we slower to speak when you're angry? I can pick on Ruth. Ruth and I have been in a heated conversation once in a while. She'll attest to me. When I'm upset, am I slower to speak? I speak faster. <laughs> I speak fast when I preach. I'm not upset when I'm preaching. But the point is, 
it's kind of this vicious cycle over and over and over and over again. And James is reminding us, especially in your day-to-day life, when you have difficulties, this is a temptation. Not to hear, not to listen, and to run the mouth. This is tough for the preacher, but what does Proverbs say? Many words come out of the fool's mouth, but the wise person submits and listens. This doesn't mean you can't have convictions. This doesn't mean you can't know truth and want truth. But this means if this is our pattern, especially when the heat is turned up, we will likely become angry and not produce God's righteousness, but rather unrighteousness. And we can't even blame God. Go with James. Who are we to look at? Me. (laughs) James is awesome. He's doing something. Remember, as a pastor... James is a pastor here. He's writing to people he's known and other Christians, not as an itinerant preacher, just spouting off, but he's seen people's lives for up to a decade in the church, and he's commentating on it now, or commenting on it, right? So this is where we're at. There's a radio, uh, sports radio guy in the Bay Area that ends his talk show at whatever time. Remember, kids, sports don't produce character, they reveal character. And what James is kind of talking about is, remember, children of God, difficulties and trials at first don't produce Christian character. They first reveal it, driving us to our knees in repentance, and then God and grace will use those things to develop it. It's much more beautiful than his little quib on the radio. Our trials, when we start to go through it, when we're beginning to walk with Jesus, will reveal our heart. That's another one of the reasons they're there. And as we return to our Father and at times repent, which is, help me stop this. I'm sorry. Give me the power to not do this anymore. Show me, God, when I become angry. Show me when I am not being quick to listen. All these things. Then God uses that by grace alone And then in time, he uses difficulties to actually both reveal and mature us. One way is kind of a cute little radio ending. The other way is the gospel. That's how good God is, right? That's our God. And that's what he's about. Again, James, a pastor, is writing. So in the next battle, we've had two, doubt. And what was the battle about doubt? Remember Mark 9? I believe, help me in my unbelief. That's the prayer. Stay in the fight. Then comparison. James talks about comparison. Now he brings up anger. We will be tempted to become angry every day, but especially when we're going through difficulties. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. But in God's grace, when we are steadfast and faithful, he uses difficulties to quell anger and produce Christ-likeness in us. The battle for anger is real, folks. Turn on any of the alphabet news channels today when you get home for two minutes. Pastor says two minutes only. And you will see anger and fear and vitriol. Some of it may be justified. Okay. But as the people of faith, we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and walk as reasonable humans, this is Paul's language, because why, Paul? 
Galatians and Ephesians, the Lord is at hand. God is in control. And that's just not a pithy hallmark statement. That is what we believe, though it might be dark or dim in certain areas of life. So battle number three is anger. You could say the tongue. You could say the heart, but anger. Verse 21. Can you skip up to 21? James then says this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That first part, put off, is literally change your jacket. That's what it means. Sometimes in Christianity or in spiritual circles, circles of faith, we, especially in Christianity, it's, it's true, we will put forth the sovereignty of God as we should. God is sovereign and he reigns and he rules. That brings us hope. But in putting forth his majesty and his sovereignty, we can slip into becoming fatalistic. Well, if God wants me to stop swearing, he'll give me the grace to stop swearing. Wrong. God wants you to stop swearing and me too. Stop. In his goodness, he will give you the grace to do it. You see the, you see the switch? We cannot be fatalistic when thinking lofty, high things about God. It's actually a scheme of the enemy to go, Bob, take it easy. You don't have to do anything else. You'll go to heaven when you go to heaven. Just live the life. That's opposite of what Jesus taught. Jesus was not merely the secretary of afterlife affairs is what I'm getting at. Jesus was both rabbi, teacher, savior, and king and priest. Yes, he died for us to cleanse us, to love us, to forgive us, to equip us. And then what did he say? Follow me. <laughs> because I've forgiven you, now I've equipped you, now I've given you the grace to listen well and speak slowly and not become angry and enter into angry places and bring peace and the hope of the gospel. And sometimes that's sitting on the wall for half an hour watching everyone lose their minds. And then entering in with the word of peace. I don't know all the answers, guys, but I know this isn't good. What can we agree on and come forth that way? And so in this battle, Jesus, James is commenting on the Sermon on the Mount. We see filthiness and wickedness and we go, oh, remember the teachings of our Lord in Matthew 5 through 7. Don't cheat. Don't be... Involved in fornication. Don't lie. And he was kind of getting trapped by the Pharisees, and he would fulfill by going, you have heard it was said, but I tell you, it's always been about your heart. That's how they missed the law. The law was always going to pound on the head and the heart. And back in the Old Testament, men, ladies, you get a pass on this one, men manipulated the law to control and worry about the outside. So if we wore the right clothes... And if we washed our hands the right way, and if we ate the right food, Alex would go, Dave is so pious. And I would go, yes, I am. And that was the goal in a lot of the religion. Not all. You can't throw all um, of the Old Testament saints. Those are saints who people who try to be faithful to God out with some of the people who are manipulating. And we quickly go, what? Oh, I don't do any of that. I'm going to speak to the people who have a smartphone. This is the easiest vehicle to be a Pharisee. We have it worse off, maybe. 
You guys who don't have a smartphone, just take a minute. Go get them. It's really easy to live as a whitewashed tomb with one of these. Remember last week? You know in your heart, and I know in my heart, that relationships and marriages and families are bad in my circle. But I'm like, it's all good. I'm happy. I'm good. Don't worry about my wife. Ah! Or work, whatever. But the point is, we as people, for the first time in history, have a way to put out for people what we want other people to see so that we might gain likes or comments or praise or followers. And social media isn't evil, but it can be a temptation. And one of the things that it can do to us, it can throw us way off track and we can hide some of the things we're struggling with. Maybe some of the things mentioned here. It's much easier to hide nowadays because we sometimes we have an alternate universe, right? So just remember that. It's a little, a little advice, hopefully. It's, it's tender to my heart, so hopefully it speaks to some of us, right? So remember, James says, you will always be tempted to be stained by the world. He finishes up chapter one with that phrasing. But when you're going through it and when times are difficult, you will be especially tempted to do the things you know are wrong. We know they're wrong. And when we're walking in this light, God and grace and the Holy Spirit gives us a heart check, for real. You just know. And when we're in a mindset where we're giving in to our temptation, the desire that's leading us astray from walking in obedience to the Lord, what do we do to the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we sidestep him. We can actually quench him, the Bible says. Now hear this. If you find yourself there, the goodness of God is one outstretched arm away. The prodigal son, come home. Deal with it right now. These sins for the believer aren't unto losing a salvation. They're simply losing the battle. And James says, be aware of this. Hear this. Now real quick, this is last, probably last little... This kind of throws us off sometimes. Look at that phrase, implanted word. James and others in this time, there were church planning going on, and a lot of the analogies we get, especially from Jesus himself, was about sowing and reaping, spreading the gospel seed and letting God grow the harvest, and implanting the word of truth into people's souls. But look at that phrase. What's James talking about? And we'd all say what? I don't want to freak anybody out, but you might get freaked out in church. Okay, if it's true. This, right? I don't want to freak anyone's faith out. I'm not trying to cause you to doubt. James's readers didn't have this. <laughs> they had some Old Testament writings and maybe some other letters going around. Maybe some eyewitness testimony of this risen Christ. That would be awesome, right? What if Bill saw Jesus, the risen Christ? You think Bill would have good coffee hour? Bill would be stacked, right? Another appointment. Great eyewitness testimony. Don't just check this off as, oh, James want me to, wants me to bury my nose in the Bible and become a robot. That's not what James is getting at. The Bible 
is God's word. Read it as much as you can. Glean from it. If you have questions, come talk to somebody. And there's lots of great resources online. Amen? Get into it. But hear what James is saying. I don't want to freak anybody out. Does this save you or I's soul? Kind of a trick question. But the ultimate answer is no. Jesus Christ saves the souls of men and women. God himself, which this book testifies about and when preached and taught correctly is 100% true. But this book, hear me, if we become robots or religious zealots apart from the person and work and resurrection of Jesus can be used for terrorism. It can be. That's the reality of the world we live in. This is Jesus. Receive him, the gospel, with meekness, the thing, the person, the human being who lived, the God-man who rose from the dead. Receive him who saved your soul. That's what James is getting at. Remember John 1. The word became what? Flesh and lived among us. And we saw glory, glory like we'd never seen before. And the word, Jesus, came full of grace and truth, not law and wrath. And the church says, amen. Because if he came, which he could have hypothetically, with law and wrath, we'd be done. But God himself came as a human full of grace and truth and offers the invitation of forgiveness to all who will believe. The good news. And a byproduct of that belief is entering into a following rabbi, teacher, king, servant, whatever you want to say, relationship with this living person. And he wrote, had things written. And when we interpret them correctly, we get to go, yeah, I got a few anger issues. And I should probably address that because I'm trying to follow my rabbi, my king, Jesus. And Jesus, who probably was the only human who could have been justifiably angry for being killed as an innocent man? What did he say when he was being spit at and mocked? Forgive them, Father, they have no idea what's happening. That's the living word. The living word wrote in the sand when a woman who broke the law and committed sin was caught in adultery. He did some things, and people started walking away. And after they all walked away, Jesus said to her, the living word said what? Who's here to condemn you? I don't condemn you either. Stop doing what you're doing. Follow me. And the implication is, as we place our faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit comes, changes our heart, and gives us the grace to go, I, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't sleep around anymore. I'm going to work on that, and God's going to help me. But I know there's forgiveness and grace to walk forward my teenage daughter's here, sitting back there, and it's hard to be a parent. Pray for me and my wife. I have none of it, I have none of it down. But what I try and emulate from the living word Christ himself is not to rule with law and wrath, but to oversee with grace and truth. So when things happen, we talk about it. And guess what happens when you parent? Usually you make a mistake somewhere in there. You do. 
You make a mistake in your disciplining or in your wanting. So the first thing I do with Kayla, she's on blast now, is I sit down and say, Dad was wrong in this, and forgive me for this. Let me pray about this. And hear me, I only do that because Jesus wasn't wrong, but he modeled and then said, come, follow me. And so James talks about this. We dwelt here, but we needed to. Jesus Christ alone saves souls. Don't be a systematic, cold-hearted theologian only. Know your theology. But have all your theology point to the living word, Jesus Christ, right? Who saves souls. And point people to him. We got kind of a new saying around here. We introduced it last year. The best theology has a name. You know what the name is? Jesus Christ. And we'll work towards that because we want to know more about him. So we are in a battle, both as humans and Christians. Again, not the battle like we see on TV, not the battle like we see in war-torn countries, not the battle we see, per se, for political might. We are in a battle for our head and our heart every day. If you lose the battle, get up tomorrow, get up in that moment, ask God for forgiveness, and move on the next day. There are new mercies, he promises us. But I don't want us to see the battle like we do with all the digital equipment. We are in a battle for these two entities, ourselves our head and our heart. The battle has been won by Christ. The war is over. But James and Jesus in his own teaching says, stay the course and follow me. Stay the course and follow me. And in my goodness, through difficult times, I will make you mature and complete, lacking nothing. You will look more like Jesus than when you started. That's the promise. The issue is, we don't know much about Jesus' first 28 to 30 years. We see a bit, and then when he's 12, and then he's kind of just working. But the last three, three and a half years were tough, right? And Jesus himself went through some trials and difficulties. And he stayed the course. And he remained faithful. God is not calling any of us to do that. To go to Calvary is what I'm saying. And be crucified. But he's calling us to follow our king. To walk in this new kingdom. To stay the course. And John would say, be witnesses to his goodness. So quickly as we wrap up, the battles were the battle for doubt. When you go through it, you will be tempted to doubt. Be the Mark 9 seeking believer. Remember the, the father whose son was going to be healed by Jesus? Jesus asked him, do you believe enough for me to heal your boy? And remember his response? I believe, but help me in my unbelief. That's the prayer right there. Stay the course. And when doubt creeps in, help me, Lord. Then the battle of comparison. Don't do it. Don't do it. It can lead to depression. Survey study. If you weren't here with us a couple weeks ago, go Google. Does depression, or sorry, does Instagram and Facebook lead to depression? Multiple studies say yes, and there's reasons why, and I preach some of that. Don't do it. And then I have the third battle we learned today is becoming angry and dealing with self. James gives us some practical ways to not do that. And then the last battle we kind of went through the last few minutes is being stained by the world. As a pastor, I get a lot of people who I get to talk to and counsel, which I love, 
and I worked with kids before, so the last 20 years I've got to just hear and, and learn. And if this is you, this is not a harsh word, this is just what I've heard. I'm not thinking of anybody. But over and over for the last de decade or two decades I get, I just can't stop doing X, Y, and Z. Now with addiction issues, okay, I get it. I get that whole side. I worked as a paramedic for 10 years. I know some of it. And there's help and treatment and what things. But when it's just things that kind of own us to a certain degree, and my experience, especially with younger kids, they don't realize the grace and power they have in pursuing Jesus Christ and trying to obey him. And that's what will set them free. Showing kindness and mercy to someone you just meet at 7-Eleven asking for a dollar instead of wrath and judgment will help you with your lust issues. What? Yeah, because you're obeying Christ, there's blessing in that, and in that you will mature to do, in a sense, the harder things well for him. That's the model of the kingdom. Going the extra mile for someone when you're 10 minutes late, but it's a worthy cause... Is what, would Christ, is what Christ would want. Offering grace and forgiveness when you were wronged and it was on them will help you with your anger issue and might creep into your marital relationship and might make you a better parent. That's how the kingdom is built. I'm going to read a few more verses. We're done because I should wrap up. Everyone's like, amen. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday next week, we're going to baptize you have pastor's permission, not that you need it any time, to wear any team you want. Super Bowl team is kind of fun, right? Who knows? We might have some, uh, you got any Eagles fans in here? We'll pray for, no, I'm kidding. The Eagles, they haven't won one, so we'll pray for them. But this is the last. Here we go. Let's look at verse 22. We'll probably dwell here next week, but let's just read it. In light of all this, James says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, will be blessed by his doing or in his doing. And that, we'll dwell on that next week. The law of liberty has a name as well. Anybody want to guess what it is? Jesus Christ. And we'll dive in next week. We'll get a little practical. Why don't you guys stand as I close in prayer? Bap baptizer people, we'll see you after, right over here. If you have any questions about baptism or have an inkling of you might want to do it in the future, come see me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for these dear folks. Thank you for your word. Thank you for servants throughout the ages, men and women, who have faithfully lived, preached, taught, and modeled. Father, thank you for encouragement while we're in the battle, that even though we might go through difficult times, you have shown us the pitfalls and the snares. And as we go, give us the grace to battle well, not as the world battles, but battle through prayer and through pursuit of your son and all that he's done and who he is. Bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and your countenance be upon us always. In Jesus' name, amen.